Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 48 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. This episode, we are going to talk about our eight favorite transition do's and also our transition don'ts. I'll caveat from the start that these lists are based on our opinion only, but are backed from seeing these do's and don'ts in action as we navigate the transition road with hundreds of all of you a year. I think if you've listened to the other 47 plus episodes of this podcast, I at least hope you know that our number one do is liking and loving the practice and the doctor closely followed and maybe a tie with believe in yourself because you can do it for all you buyers out there. But today we're going to get a bit more in the weeds and hopefully give you some thoughts to mull over as you dive into ownership or get ready to make the big move out of ownership. So before we get going today, Mr. Loretto, how is life at Loretto Manor? We are doing great. And for our listeners, as Christy reads her intro, we, you know, this got a little prep. She has, you can do it, capitalized, okay? (laughs) Believe in yourself with exclamation (laughs) point. She's got a hope, H-O-P-E, all capitalized so that she may Make sure that she can pass along all these positive just thoughts <laughs> and just shoot it right through the microphone and shoot it right through Apple so that you are all positive when you listen to yes. this. <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, this is a conversation that's been going on for about a couple of weeks. And of course, through this whole COVID thing, Cole, my oldest, who doesn't speak much, but when he does, we stop and listen. He just finished his freshman year at OU. And I think I mentioned once before, but, you know, he had straight A's and so he's never had straight A's in his life. And so he bust out with some straight A's. And so he came up with this plan on his own, which is about as crazy as you can ever imagine. So the biggest rival of University of Oklahoma is... Texas University. That's correct. The University of Texas nope, Longhorns. Nope, nope. Texas University. Texas University. Sorry for all of our other listeners. For all of us. Uh, yeah, yeah for all the Aggies out there as well. The <laughs> University that's in Austin. Yeah, correct. <laughs> So uh, that is a big rival and a very, very difficult school to get into. And so he decided that he's going to take junior college classes, save the Loretto household about $20,000 instead of doing online classes at OU, and then has made the decision that he would apply his junior year with 60-plus hours with a 4.0 and likely get into University of Texas. Oh, my gosh. So this is big. And, of course, the daughter, you know, she's going to go to OU as well. So now all of a sudden we got this, you know, rivalry through the family. But I'm a money guy. He's going to save me like 20 grand. <laughs> so I, I am going to stroke a big check and, and just to give him $10,000 just at the end of this year after he has uh-huh. officially saved me the money, officially got into UT and let the other younger ones know that this is available for this them is, as this well. This is something you can do. Well, that's great. I know. I'm proud I of know. That's a I big. Know. That's it, a big decision, one, I mean, let alone, but then if he can get in, that's going to be fantastic. In-state tuition him. as yep. well. He'll save as well. And then, you know, it's just maybe more connections from the psychology route. He's planning to get his master's and, you know, talk to a bunch of kids about how to handle all of their life struggles. Uh, I might be one of them sometime. But he might need to <laughs> work with the adults. <laughs> I might yeah. not be a patient yeah. pretty the soon. The line will form to the left. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What's happening? Oh my gosh. Like, I don't know. We're just kind of like chugging along here. Like my type A personality in this environment. I don't know. Maybe I've made a breakthrough. I haven't been going to therapy, but maybe I have. Maybe COVID has taught me a lesson. I literally am just like 
I don't know what's going to happen in the next weeks. We, you know, we're here in July, mid-July when we're recording this. And so none of my kids' schools have made decisions on what they're doing. And Texas has an order. They can't go back till September 8th. So I know at least that long I'm going to be yep. in my house. So normal type A Christie would be like waking up in the middle of the night and like totally stressed out. And maybe I should be, but I feel like it's so out of my hands at this point. It is what it is. And we're going to figure it out. And, you know, work's going great. And so I just feel like I'm super grateful to be in a position where I have a good job. Things are going well. I can stay at home if I absolutely need to. You know, I can work other hours and take care of my kids. So I'm just trying to be like keep perspective because clearly there are people in like much worse situations. So I'm going to wear my dang mask and I'm going to move on and just hopefully 2021 will be Mm -hmm. a great year. That's what I'm hoping for at this point. So Hey, you know what? 2020 has been good. 2020 has been good. You're right. We've been busy and we've been blessed and and all of us are employed and, and, uh, we all learned some lessons maybe like we'll take with us kind of after this. So yeah, yeah, so things are good. I can't complain. There's nothing exciting happening. We didn't have kids on Friday night and Chris and I looked at each other and we're like, well, I guess we'll just order takeout that our kids wouldn't eat. Like that's now the date night. So (laughs) that's your stretch. Yeah, that's my stretch. But anyway, so thought about this episode and thought that each of us could just do our top two do's and our top two don'ts. Sure. No particular order, just kind of things. At least mine are things that have just been on my mind or current clients or, you know, people we've talked to who are considering practices. So we're going to start with a couple do's. So Christy's first do, and we have an episode about this say thank you post any site visit or initial call. You do not know how far that goes. I mean, I think everyone now expects some kind of like thank you email or thank you text or thank you letter, right? And that's fine. Right. But I think the clients or the people, these are typically buyers that I'm speaking with, who are sending thank yous, the ones that get the extra bonus stars on the card are the ones who listen and like take in what the seller says and then surprise the seller with the thing, right? That was the extra mile of the thank you. So currently working with a client and she did this, I believe she said, I listened to the podcast and knew I had to do something and I wasn't sure what to do. She baked chocolate chip cookies and took them warm to the seller and left them. And, you know, we go through the offer process and, and, you know, clearly she has a great personality and there's a million things other than the chocolate chip cookies, but the seller ended up accepting her offer, which was less than another offer he had on the table. And we laughed because she was like, man, I guess chocolate chip cookies do work. And it just made me laugh because clearly it was not just the chocolate chip cookies, but it was just the thought and then kind of what goes into that going the extra mile. So this was several thousand. I mean, we're talking, we're talking a a batch of 24 cookies that cost a couple of bucks, literally saved her a little bit less than 10 grand. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So to me, it's just like, whether it's the bottle of wine or it's the, you know, nice stationery because the guy says no one writes letters anymore, like whatever it is that like just puts you a little bit above to show you were listening and and prove that out. I think you have no idea how far it'll go. And it's again, 24 cookies, a bottle of wine a cup of coffee, like whatever it is that puts you above is worth it to me. So yeah. that's my do. I always try to add is just like when you go on those interviews, you're trying to meet as many people as you can, write all their names down, just mm-hmm. figure out they have kids, figure out something. Then you're sending something back to the office to them, but certainly with the doctor, the spouse, you're trying to figure out what their connection. They could be a Green Bay Packers fan and you maybe you're doing something 
with the cookies and it's got a little thing about the Green Bay Packers. Something. Yep. Just be extraordinary, just thoughtful and make that impression on them yep. so that it's just this weird thing that we just feel a little obligated to that person after they do that. So yep. I wish some of our NDP candidates, because we interview hundreds to try to find great quality people, that they would listen to our podcast and they would know. Uh, I'm like, I thought she was an awesome candidate, but there was no follow-up, no cookies? We could use some cookies, Christy. We need to get our, our own NDP candidates to come work here to listen to our episodes. I mean, for me, it's about just having a team. I mean, and again, no particular order, like what's the most important thing, but just have a team and and have an approach about this process. So uh, I was talking to somebody this week about, you know, they're going to do a startup and they were a specialist. They've been associate for, I don't know, like six, seven years. And so now they're going to do this, this startup and they're kind of connected to their equipment rep. And so their equipment rep is, you know, now showing this space. And so now, you know, you kind of really want to make sure that it's not just the equipment rep, but have someone that specializes in the lease space in that area, make sure it's zoned help you with demographics. So that part had not been done. Then it's like, okay, is there, you know, a Spears group? Is there a Seattle study? Cl- you know, is that the availability? Look at the referral sources that are there. You got to be able to look, this is the contractor that this guy put me in touch with. Well, how many general contractors, you know, in that area, how many have they finished out with, in this case, this specialty of maybe Perio? Do they understand the specialty of perio and how you might need a surgical suite and layout and how that's going to flow through the office? Think about just the lawyers that are involved. I got this friend. And so a lot of times they just, I would say for my motivation is from a due standpoint, is just start building that team and really think the whole process through and interview different people. Don't get so caught up even on that, you know, one Shine or Patterson or Burkhardt or whatever group that is. Just don't get so caught up. That is my guy. That's my gal. And then that person is going to lead me to everybody else and then that's my team be able to interview multiple multiple people around you just so you're kind of picking the best of the best absolutely i think that's a great one and so so important this process is an investment financially like whether you're buying or selling but in our experience not engaging the right team oftentimes not always but often costs you more on the back end when problems come up or realizing that you could have got a better deal or you know kind of saved on you know segregation of real estate when you're doing a start whatever it might have been you kind of end up saving so I agree with that. And sometimes it's just, it's hiring the people out of order. Yeah. You know, it's like you're hiring an attorney out of the gate for X thousands of dollars to basically negotiate that leash and to set your corporation up and things like that. And this attorney may just be maybe a contract attorney, may not be the lease negotiation attorney. Yeah. Right. So you want that person not just to review it, but to also say what else is out there? What have they seen in dentistry in that particular area? So just even something like that is not just having the team, but when to execute the people at the right time. Absolutely. Okay. So moving on to our two don'ts. So my don't, now this one I'm a little bit like current. This is too new for you. It's a little fresh. So if I come across too harsh. (laughs) So my don't is do not use a real estate broker for a mom and pop lease. And when I say mom and pop, I don't mean like super small. What I'm meaning is like, it's the seller who owns the building and they're giving you a lease, right? Like that is a distinction from the seller leases their space. And now you're going to be assigning over this hundred page lease from this commercial landlord, right? Like those are two very different leases and require different diligence. So I'm only speaking to the mom and pop seller owned space 
and you're going to lease that space. Do not engage a real estate broker for that. There is a well-known real estate broker out there and we have had a relationship or had to kind of be involved with them probably only three or four times in all of the engagements we do. I would say 95% of our buyers do not have anyone outside of a real estate attorney who helps them with a lease or purchase of a building as part of a transition. But the times we have had to interact with this particular broker, and I'm assuming other brokers were like this as well, what you don't know, and maybe you do know, but maybe you don't pay attention to, or maybe they sell this a different way, is that the seller is obligated to pay 3% of the term of the lease, all of the lease payments you'll pay for whatever term is negotiated to them typically 3%. So if it's a five-year lease with $3,000 a month, that math times that 3%, that's how much the seller is going to be obligated to pay that broker. That does not come across nicely to the seller who has engaged a team and is, you know, investing in all the legal documents. And oftentimes, you know, they're paid off whatever that rent is, right? So clearly they want that rent. In my opinion, there's kind of a little bit of a conflict of interest there because they're paid off the higher rent. So I'm always a little Why would they want to negotiate down? Yes. So I'm always a little bit like unclear about how that works. You know, in our experience, the seller then kind of questions like, oh, well, do I need like someone on my side if they have something? It just kind of complicates the issue when in actuality, a good real estate attorney, and we work with a lot of them, they know leases, they know how to negotiate, they have contacts for understanding comparables. Like there's a lot of other resources you can do that are free that don't complicate the process. If you do want to, right, for whatever reason you say, hey, I want to hire this real estate broker to help me because this is an area that I feel of importance, pay for your own fee or at least give someone a heads up that that's what you're going to be doing. Talk about it. Make sure it's agreeable because I can guarantee you the number way to put a sour taste in a seller's mouth is to pop a fee on them that they have to pay or the transition doesn't close. You kind of hold them over a barrel and it's just not nice. So Christy, are you saying that if it's a mom and pop deal, it's 1500 bucks a month rent. Mm -hmm. Clearly it's under market. Clearly it works for me, the buyer. You are the seller. It's fifteen hundred bucks a month. The comp is whatever, twelve bucks a foot, and everybody's around twelve bucks, and you're going to rent it to me for twelve bucks. Mm-hmm. That in that example, by going to get a broker without communicating with you, that you, the seller, you're going to now have to pay this three percent of the entire life of the loan. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so I now I brought that deal at the very end because remember we're probably dealing with that type of event at the eleventh hour. We've got a price, we've got asset allocation, how it's all going to work. But at the very end, I go get somebody, and it's almost kind of wrecking the deal. Yeah, you know, and then especially if we're not giving a heads up, what yeah. you know, this is like I'm just repackaging what you're saying. A hundred percent. Yeah, and that's exactly what took place this week, and so it just left a little bit of a sour taste in yeah. all the parties. And I had a another buyer weirdly used the same kind of firm that typically the only one we see, but has used that firm. And she was the buyer and she did not come to us and ask. She just wanted to do that. So she engaged this firm and they did nothing. They, they, right. they didn't negotiate anything. I think they provided some comps, but the comps 
you know, I think in one email they were like, did these look right to you asking me? And I'm like, Kate, that's your world, right? You need to know that. And then our buyer clearly took on that fee herself. She knew, hey, I'm hiring. This is what I'm doing. And she ended up being out of pocket, like a pretty big sum of money. And that person didn't do anything for her. And so she was kind of like, oh, well, shame on me. I shouldn't have done that. So again, in certain situations makes complete sense. Just understand kind of what you're agreeing to and what the normal is here so that you can know. I don't think that it's in our experience, not normal to hire a real estate broker for certain types of leases. And again, I would say maybe 5% engage. And I think that's on the high end, a real estate broker. The rest just kind of simply rely on that real estate attorney. And the real estate attorney is absolutely necessary. And you absolutely want that. Sure. Um, We're not saying not get an attorney. Yeah, no, not at all. The broker that's simply going to help you negotiate the terms of the lease. That's kind of what we're saying is, is most of the time in seller owned buildings unnecessary. Yeah. And the broker's fantastic for, I'm thinking about doing a startup practice, go look at this entire area of Northern North Carolina, go find me a space. The broker is going to do that. That's where they fit. Absolutely. Or even purchasing a building, right? Like there's different things there. So anyway, that's my don't. You? Well, for me, the don't is, it's like, don't like negotiate your entire deal and then come to someone and say, Hey, what do you think? You know, well, it's like, uh, Hey, yeah. Hey, I'm getting married next week. This is my bride. What do you think? Great. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of late for me to have, you know, all these opinions. So just if you can, if at all possible, we're involved is just bring us the opportunity and for us to discuss the entire thing. So just a reminder, when you're negotiating your own deal, there's lots of moving parts. And so price is obviously one of the biggest components, uh, the asset allocation, the building, the work back, how the deal is going to work on the timing, just who's going to work. Is it going to be a partnership or is it going to be six months before you buy the thing? Is there going to be a seller carry back, you know, lending? There's all these different things. And the only thing I would say is from a don't standpoint is once you sign that letter of intent, it's very difficult to start the negotiation process. And we don't even know the business. Yeah. I don't even know that this is a fantastic business. Now, it could be fantastic and I could be really excited, but I would say eight or nine out of 10 deals that I see that someone just sends it to me, sends me a letter of intent and say, we're trying to close in 30 days. And they go, hey, I want to hire you. And oh, by the way, I'd like to pay you less. Uh, because, I mean, technically, I've already done half the work. Uh, I've already negotiated a price. And I'm like, that's not really how it works. Yeah, that's not how it works. Yeah, it's in dentistry, you know, you've already had a crown. If the crown was done wrong, do you just, hey, it's a $700 crown, but I'm going to have to redo it, just give him a credit. Yeah. If the other guy did it wrong, you know, I think I'll just charge you like 300 bucks. Yeah, it's not, not how it works. It, the work is still the same. Yeah. And when that happens, another thing that you risk is the seller and the seller's team they're tired of you asking questions by that point. So, you know, if you've spent two months asking for various reports and asking questions and then you engage us and then we start asking questions, they're like, look, like at this point, like we've wasted two months doing this. So again, not that you shouldn't ask questions and gather information. And that's clearly something we ask you to do before we have an initial call. But the earlier you can get us involved, at least we can also help target the questions you're asking and help understand because, I mean, the questions we're asking are not frivolous. They're financially related. They're, hey, we need to know this. You understand the cash flow. And so I just think sellers also get tired if mm-hmm. you then engage us too late because then we're asking questions they feel like should have been asked in the yeah, beginning. Yeah, why, why are you asking this now? Yeah. 
Why are yeah. you asking these uh, questions about the practice? You know, you already got the letter of intent, and what's the point? Exactly. And so the broker's asking, the seller's asking, and even the buyer's like, well, why are we doing this? Because you're about ready to spend seven hundred thousand dollars. You're about ready to sign a lease. It's going to be another five to six hundred thousand yep. dollars of commitment. Just that's our due diligence. Yeah. That's what you're paying us to do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, dues. Another set. So my second do here is know your own priorities. Okay, and there will always be something better out there. The only example, and this is going to sound like a don't, but my do is like know your priorities. And so when I say that, what I mean is if a certain town is most important, if having a fee for service practice, if having room to improve or having no room for improvement, I want something that's working in a well-oiled machine, like whatever it is, like be honest with yourself and put together your list of priorities and look for that practice. Now, more than likely, no practice is going to check every box off on that list, but that will help you determine when you find one that this is it. The only example that I can come to that kind of fits this is wedding dress shopping, okay? When you find a wedding dress that fits and you love it, you don't try on any more dresses because hopefully you don't find something else you like better once you've already put a deposit and are in mid diligence. So that's why we do the complimentary calls. Like that's why we spend so much time with our clients before they engage and do a ton of free work that we don't get paid for because we want you to know, we want to add to your data set and we want you to know that this practice is the practice you want. Once you commit to it, I hope that you don't keep looking because there will always be another practice out there that may be better. And then you start, in my experience, buyers who do this start doubting their initial decision, right? Because now they're in the middle of this one practice diligence and maybe they found some things that they don't love, but they're not big deals. But then this other practice that they haven't even started to touch looks like grass is always greener. It looks perfect. But the truth is, once you dig into that practice, there's probably some negative things that aren't the greatest either. So to save yourself a bunch of don'ts, (laughs) my do is to know your priorities and then commit to a practice. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't sometimes like your dream practice comes on, you know, on the market after you've already started diligencing something and maybe that's a more competitive market. And we're always open to like doing a quick overview just to make sure that it's not like leaps and bounds better. But in most cases, kind of having the wandering eye after you've committed to a practice just ends up making you doubt yourself more and doesn't really result in like a better practice. So. Well, first is for a guy, they try on the very first tux (laughs) and they're good. Get me the hell out of here. So if you're a a male listener, that may not have been, but ask your spouse or sister. I was trying to think of what the male equivalent is to the shopping of the... There's nothing. We're different creatures. Yeah, different so, creatures. So ask your spouse or yeah. your sister or your best friend or something. But the whole just doubt thing, maybe it's more of a don't, but let's make it the positive of the do's. But there's so many times I'm just on the phone with people and they're like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm sure. And what the audience has to know is that Christy and I tell people no all the time. Like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. So when we are giving you the blessing of this makes sense to me, it's going to make sense to Christy. It's going to make sense to Bridget and the Colin everyone else who works on our team as analysts to see this, it's a go on our end. 
But I know that it's natural sometimes, it's just in your DNA, Mm -hmm. that you're constantly, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? And like I said, in the end, if you got something else better, I'm happy to look at it. But if you're telling me this, this, and this, I'm ready to pull the trigger on this. So, you know, for me, that's really a good segue because to me, it's just don't be afraid of ownership. And I need you to get your head wrapped around that this is possible. And there's so many people that are so thankful. It's like I saw something on Facebook yesterday on this uh, dental investment group, and it was like compounding interest. And it was like, is this really true? You know, because it takes 30 years to actually, 20 plus years to actually get the results for saving money and getting your money to compound out to really where it's that impressive. Like I wanted to respond with, you ask somebody who's done it, they're going to tell you that it made sense. And that's what I'm going to tell you about ownership is if you had someone that did due diligence, bought the right practice. And, you know, now it's successful. It's like, well, were you nervous? Of course they were nervous. What about the whole business thing? Because we didn't have any. Yes, we. I didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, it's just something you figure out. And I just can't stress enough if just to make sure that you can do this. And the thing that keeps people is they have these little short goals. Well, I'm going to get married first. I'm going to date her or him for a little bit. I'm going to pay down this dental school debt. I'm going to work for this guy. I'm going to need to get this implant experience. Oh, I need to get maybe this training. You know, I'm going to do this following. I'm going to work in this. I'm not sure about ownership, so I'm going to work in a partnership. And then this guy is going to maybe make me a partner in two to three to four years. I'm telling you. Newsflash, now you're 50. You're freaking 50. (laughs) You know? Like there's always something else. Yeah. I'm going to do a quick transition. I didn't think about this. There was a girl I just spoke to this past week. I flat out just jumped out of my chair. I was so proud of her. So she did the whole corporate thing for 12 years, Christy. So she's early 40s. She did the, she quit the corporate job. She worked two years, did the commute, came back to her town. Her third month of business, third month, Mm. she did $100,000. That is so awesome. She's doing like 60 to 70 new patients a month. I was literally just like, she was like, I was like, stop. We are going to celebrate this moment. I never hear this story, and it's so great. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. She just had two years of pent up. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill it. She was a big high producer of this corporate office. She came back two years and three months or whatever post her non-compete. It's absolutely rushing. That is so awesome. And so I kept telling her. Believe in yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she did. So, so just don't be afraid. I know it's something that we're all kind of a little nervous about. There is some risk associated with this, but just don't be afraid. Awesome. Last don't. So, my don't is don't negotiate with yourself. Okay. Yeah. Like, Number one rule of negotiation. We should definitely do a podcast about negotiation. Yeah. But don't negotiate with yourself. Put out a thoughtful offer and then leave it. Yep. Right? Like put out what you think is best and then leave it and let the other person come back with what they think is best and then you can negotiate. But we have had instances on both sides where we put out an offer, we put something into the ether and before they can let people respond, they go out and say, well, I know I said that, but what about this? Mm -hmm. Well, of course they're going to take whatever now you've put out there because now it's better probably for them. It shows that you are maybe a little bit like anxious and that you are willing to negotiate. And again, just don't do it. We've had sellers who have kind of known that a buyer is wanting something in their terms. Like, I don't know, I'm going to use like an exception for non or non-compete. 
but they didn't want to do that, right? Like they didn't want it, but the buyer wanted it. Maybe the buyer wanted 10 miles and they only wanted seven, but because they knew the buyer wanted it, they're like, well, I mean, I'd rather have seven miles, but if you want 10, I mean, I guess that's okay. Right. What do you think the buyer's going to do? They're going to take the 10, right? So whatever it is, just kind of put out your most thoughtful offer and then leave it. Do not negotiate with yourself for a variety of reasons. It also just kind of adds to kind of the back and forth and the emotion of it. Because if you are agreeing to something that you don't want because you just can't handle the silence or the waiting of waiting to hear back from the other party, then again, you probably are not going to be happy with whatever you agree to. So let us do our job. Let us tell you what we think we should go forward with. Have it be something you're happy with and then just wait. Yeah. One of the, actually, if you read any type of sales training type books or just listen to sales people, their technique is that they come in with the offer and then they shut up. Yep. And then it's like the first person who speaks is the loser. And so sometimes it's a little uncomfortable to have that pause. But in this case, the pause is actually the letter and the offer. So I'm with you. A lot of times buyers and sellers will sit there and like they want to keep changing and make it. Well, I didn't hear from you yesterday. Let's a little bit about this. We sent that at two o'clock. Do you think we should send something else? It's like, just stop. (laughs) Just stop the madness. Just let it, let it go. My thing is on the don't is a lot of times people just want something cheap. Mm -hmm. They want a broken car with no motor, no tires, and they just want to buy it for some 500 bucks and let's just make it work later. Like you are not a mechanic. Nope. So I'd rather buy the car already up and running. Remember, small practices equal small number of patients. Small practices typically will equal older, outdated equipment. And so when you buy these smaller things, unless you've got a ton of cash, you're going to go get a loan for a small amount. You're going to buy the thing. You're not going to be busy. And now you're going to be working part-time someplace else to try to drive this business. And then, hey, I want to go to the bank to borrow some money. The bank doesn't want to give you money on something that's not working. They already gave you money on something that's not working. So now you're asking for more money, i.e. now it really doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So my thing is just let's be thoughtful about it. I don't mind paying for a low price, but remember, you sell me on it. Like, Charles, there's 2,000 active patients. Charles, there's 7,000 inactive patients. This practice has been around since the 80s. Yep. This guy or gal is referring out all these things. This guy you know, or gal is not coming back from COVID. Something, sell me on why this thing is so cheap. Because I don't mind paying a low price, but a lot of times that price does equate to kind of what you're getting. Exactly. And I think also going back to your other piece that you said earlier, Sometimes when people are spending kind of a very low amount on a practice, they don't want to then invest in the team to help them with that. And oh my gosh, yes. then, you know, cause they're like, well, I'm only buying something that's, you know, however many thousand dollars. And so I can't pay your fee. Cause I mean, that's proportionately too big, but like the same problems, the same potential liabilities, the same diligence needs to happen regardless of what you're buying. And clearly like maybe risk kind of goes up with the size of something, but sometimes you're getting something relatively sizable for cheap. So the price, I don't think needs to relate there. So we get a lot of people that are like, well, I'm only doing this, so I don't need an attorney. I don't need this. You can still have liability. You can still miss something that will cost you a ton of extra money outside, you know, after you close, if you don't pay attention and do diligence on the front end. Yeah. You might get something cheap, but all of a sudden part of the deal is that he or she's going to work back. And the fact that you thought X amount of cash was there, you thought X, I didn't buy the account receivable. I didn't do this. And so all these little steps that you didn't take because it was inexpensive. 
now puts you on Struggle Street, your first week of ownership, and then you're saying, hey, I just bought this. What do you think? Well, I can't really undo what you just bought. Yeah, goes back to another one of those don'ts. <laughs> so anyway, well, this was fun. So our eight yeah. do's and don'ts, we have a lot more. I'm sure we could make oh, this yeah. like let's, somewhat let's of a add. regular thing. So we'll kind of compile some as we have our calls the next few weeks, and we'll pop back on here and do another one of these. But clearly, as you listen today, if you have an opportunity, if you're thinking about selling and you want to just bend our ear and hear what we have to say, we'd be happy to pop on a call and be a sounding board for kind of what you're thinking about and what you're looking to do. That's it for today. That was great, Christy. Thank you. Good. No problem. Remember to subscribe to Transition Talk on Podcast SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, likes on social. Have a great week. Until next time, friends. 